0: Stand up and give a big round of applause for my friend, my business partner, and the co-founder of Amazing.com, Matt Clark. All right, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, so we're here at the end of day two, still have a whole other full day tomorrow. Now, this presentation, to kind of let you in a little bit behind the scenes, like, how do I, or maybe the other speakers, but especially myself, how do I decide like, what to talk about? It's like, I can talk about almost anything that's semi-relevant, semi-rele- and so I try to pick something that's like I feel qualified to talk about, and I think is going to be most useful to everyone here. And so this is what I've come up with, because I've done a lot of work myself, with experts, and that kind of thing, trying to figure out like, what is the thing that I'm good at. And I think it's this. is kind of taking in a bunch of information, especially for people in business, in e-commerce, and trying to figure out, like, how do you unlock growth from where they're at now? And so I'm calling this how to find your business's maximum leverage point to unlock the next stage of growth. Because it really depends what you have going on. I mean, literally, every single conversation I've had here with you all, which has been awesome, meeting a lot of you all face to face, could be wrapped into this presentation. So I can't talk to everyone one-on-one, and even some of the people that I have talked to, I'm like, check out the presentation tomorrow, because I think that's gonna answer some of the questions that you're asking me right now, and hopefully make it a lot more clear. So, give you a couple examples. So with Lifeboost, when I came in, Charles already had this business for a couple years before he and I started working together. He had been building it, kind of went through some ups and downs, had some supplier issues, and, But what I noticed when I looked at the business is people just kept rebuying and rebuying and rebuying. He wasn't really doing any marketing, but people loved the product. And so the problem was is he wasn't getting any new customers. And so the thing to solve for him was not the product, the product was great, was not the back-end marketing and stuff because he's amazing at that stuff. Um, It was really figuring out how to get new customers in the door. So that was the piece that that business needed. When we acquired the majority interest in Zoof, uh, who was created? I seen Brandon in here somewhere. Where's Brandon at? Oh, Brandon's right here. He is the original founder of Zoof, so give Brandon a hand. In. He's very embarrassed right now. Um, so when we partnered with him and acquired majority interest in Zoof, the thing with that business, super high quality, very well-built, he basically built the entire thing himself, uh, very well-built it was missing a few features, because it had a lot of stuff other people had, but it needed something unique. So it needed a little bit of tweaking on the product side, then the traffic. So if we had tried to just start dumping traffic on this thing before we tweaked the product, before we had something interesting to talk about, we probably wouldn't have gotten hardly any growth. So that was the sort of leverage point for that business, a little bit of product tweaking before dumping on the traffic. I see so many people, that are just beating Facebook ads to death, beating Amazon ads to death, but their product isn't quite there yet. There's nothing that interesting to talk about yet. And you're gonna waste a lot of time and energy, so I want you to be able to move as quickly as possible, and that's what this is about. So when I think of maximum leverage point, I'm kind of making up my own definitions, but I think this graphic kind of makes sense. Is heavy force applied to a specific area causes a huge change in results? So you're not just kind of dabbling, it's not something you just like, touch on in your business and all of a sudden the world opens up. It's more like, okay this is the area to focus on, go all in on that, and then all of a sudden your business skyrockets. That's what I want to help you figure out here over the next half hour or so. So your maximum leverage point, here are the four things we're going to talk about. First, repeat what works. If you've already got something working in your business, do more of that. Second, the product, big one. Third, the sales funnel, which was kind of the thing with Lifeboost. And then fourth, repeat customer sales. If you have already getting a lot of customers, but you're not going back and marketing them, I've talked to a brand that's actually owned by a company in here, I'm not gonna call them out, but owned by a company in here, they had an email list in this e-commerce brand of like 40,000 people they weren't emailing. And they were like, we got to figure out how to unlock sales for this thing. They're like, maybe we need to set up a Shopify funnel and this and that. I'm like, if I was you, I don't own the brand. I don't have any skin in the game. I would just start emailing the customers. So that could be a position for some of you. If you've got a big customer list and you're not remarketing to them, that could be an easy win for you. And I'm all about easy wins. So part number one, repeat what works. I think somebody found this out yesterday. They're like, you seem really into this Warren Buffett thing. Um, So I don't know if y'all have picked up on that yet. I'm probably obnoxiously obsessed with Warren Buffett because I think he has obviously super high success, but also super high ethics That's why I pull a lot of examples from them. His business partner also super high ethics, super smart, super high success, multi-billionaire Somebody once asked them at one of their annual meetings They were it was kind of a crazy question because they was asking a lot out of a question and they were kind of like what's the secret to life basically like what's the algorithm for life and Warren Buffett's like how am I gonna answer that Charlie Munger's like I'll take a chance he says well I really think like the fundamental algorithm of life is repeat what works if it's working do more of that it's very interesting because sometimes in like such a short sentence I think you see a lot of how they think and what's most important in life I mean this guy now is 99 probably when he said this he was maybe I don't know, 85, 90 or something like that. That's a lifetime of wisdom. He reads something like two books a day or something, like that's all he does. A lot of wisdom packed into there. So what do I mean by what works in our case? To me, it's produces sales profitably and sustainably. If you're doing something and it's quote unquote working, but maybe you feel like uh, this is kind of like dicey. Maybe I'm kind of a little bit on the edge on Amazon's policies or my product maybe is not really that sustainable. I'm kind of questioning the either market size or the integrity of the product or something. So to me, it's got to produce sales profitably and sustainably. If you have something like that in your business, do more of it. So I read, like I said yesterday, a bunch about Monster Energy. They found out that a lot of people were buying these energy drinks. Even before they launched Monster, it was actually under Hansen's Energy Drink. That used to be the old name of the corporation. But they found out people were just buying these energy drink things. So what did they do? They started creating more energy drink brands. And then once they found Monster was working really well, they just created tons of variations, Uh, all kinds of different flavors, sort of different angles in some of these. Uh, The ones rehab and the rest are all kind of different flavors. So lots of different kind of variations of the same product and their business just exploded. So if you find something working on your product side, do more of that thing. Like we've got a guy we're working with that he has a product that's selling really well and he could go out there, completely different market would be the extreme example, completely different kind of product in the market. But I'm like, if I was you, I'd probably just create another variation of the same product. Um, rather than going out there and getting super complicated, because it makes your life so easy. you can use probably the same supplier, and if you're like, hey, literally just give me another color or a slightly different variation, that can be the easiest way to unlock growth in your business. Forget everything else. You don't have to do anything else if you feel like you can do that in your business. Now, if it's working, do more of it. So I was once talking with a guy uh, recently, a few months ago, in our mastermind, and he said he's very big on Amazon, sells probably 95% of his sales on Amazon right now, does over two million dollars a year and he was like Matt he's like if you were in my shoes he's like how would you take my business from two million dollars a year to ten million dollars a year because that's our goal with that group is to get everyone to ten million plus a year that it's doing somewhere in the seven figures he's like what would you do and I'm like well I've talked with him I kind of knew a little bit about his business I was like if I was you um you seem to have this Amazon thing figured out you're selling a product that's like okay kind of market, you know, a little bit of ups, little positives and negatives. But I'm like, from what I could tell, you're not really at a risk of getting your account suspended or anything like that. I was like, how much would it cost for you to get a new product live on Amazon? He's like, I don't know, like five to 10 grand. And I'm like, how much revenue do you think that could produce? And he's like very analytical, so he knows his market, knows his space. He's like, oh, it could probably do at least an extra couple hundred grand a year. And I'm like, do more of that. You could do all the Shopify stuff, as much as I want to push you into be omnichannel and all that kind of thing. If I was you, maybe I would spend 10, 20% of my time on that. I'd spend the other 80%. As long as I didn't think I was taking any crazy risk, uh, remember, profitably and sustainably, I would just do more of that. If you got something like that working, do more of that stuff. And similarly, if you can get free customers, get more of them. I've had this kind of conversation multiple times, especially people that are newer to -to direct-to-consumer, trying to figure out how to drive sales on Shopify and that kind of thing that come from like an Amazon background they'll tell me my funnel isn't working. I'm like, okay, cool. I was like, what are your numbers? And they'll be like, well, you know, ads are costing me like $40 to get a sale. For every sale they get, it's costing about 40 bucks an ad spend. And I'm like, okay, cool. What's your like average order value or gross margin? They'll be like, well, I'm making like $35 gross profit upfront. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, they're looking at it as like, oh, I'm losing five bucks on every sale. And I'm like, are any of these people ever reordering? And they're like, oh, I never really thought about that. I was like, I can almost guarantee you For anybody's business in here, if these were your numbers, you're probably actually profitable up front. Because first off, it's probably super easy to increase your average order value. Second off, I guarantee you some of those people can rebuy, especially if you remarket to them. So if these were your numbers or something similar, you kind of calculate that, hey, I'm breaking even up front, do that all day long. Your life becomes very simple at that point. Your life is literally just give Facebook or whatever ad platform more money. If I had these numbers and I knew people were rebuying, I kind of like calculated lifetime value, I would just keep giving Facebook more money every single day until those numbers start to deteriorate. Then you have different issues. You've got to maybe figure out ads, etc. But until you get to that point, don't do anything else. What I hear a lot of times, people in this case, they'll be like, oh, I need to add new products, or I need to figure out Walmart, or something like that, I'm like, no, 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 no. Just give Facebook more money, get more customers for free, worry about all that stuff later. So if at first you succeed, quit trying. If any of you has one of these things in your business right now, you can pay no attention to the rest of the presentation. You're done. If you got something that's working that you can do more of, do that thing first. If that's not the case, you're like, I don't think I'm really in that position. I don't really see that. Next thing I would look at is a product. If I was literally working with you one-on-one, um, which I don't, but if I was like, talking with you or something like that, you were like, how do I grow my business? The next thing I would, at first I would ask you, like, what's already working? How are you getting customers? If there wasn't really anything there, the next thing I would look at is the product side. So with us, We were good, like I said, the product was already good. We didn't really have to do any work on the product side. When I started working on one of these funnels for Mike's business, he has this really cool flashlight called the Sentinel 1300. (laughs) I literally created a video where I have a, a Land Rover and I was running over it with my car while I was like videoing it. I went from like grass to make sure the thing didn't explode, then I went to like soft dirt, then I went to hard dirt, then I went to concrete. I mean, this thing's like indestructible. And so we started testing some ads and we started testing some angles. And he was like, oh, maybe it's like the brightest angle that'll work. We tested like, uh, something else, and then the self-defense angle. Self-defense angle kind of worked the best, because this thing's like a baton. It's like if you get attacked, you can like beat somebody with it, I guess. But the problem was, is the reason we didn't keep pushing this product is because when you look at like Amazon reviews, nothing special about Amazon in this case, because we were running it on Shopify, but it's just a good place to do research. Most people wanted a product like this. They want something small, because you'll see lots of testimonials like this that are like, I've carried this light with me just about 24/7." His doesn't have a belt clip or any of that kind of stuff. These are people that are like, plumbers, they do security, maybe some sort of like military or law enforcement or something like that where they're literally carrying this thing strapped to them, beating it up all day long. That's not really what he sold, even though it's a very high quality product. So for him, we could have kept trying to beat this thing to death, trying to drive more ads, optimize, tweak, that kind of thing. He's better off saying like, hey, I'm just, if he wants to, create that kind of product instead. If he creates that kind of product, his life is going to be so much easier because people always want a cooler new tactical flashlight that are in that space. So the kind of process I would run through if I was you is first, is the product high quality? These are just kind of a checklist of three things. So first thing, is it high quality? If yes, you can go to the next step. If not, fix it or replace it. If you're not selling a high quality product, you need to do something to fix that or go on to a different product. Second question, is there a big market for it? And that could be kind of relative. If your business is doing you know, 10K a month or something, A big market could mean that you could sell a million dollars a year with that product. If your business is doing a million dollars a year in sales, maybe you want a market that's at least a few million, 10 million or so a year. So it's kind of relative. But if there's a big market for it, meaning you have at least room to grow, then yes, keep going. If not, find a new product. You can always use these things as like back-end products to offer. Third question, does it have good differentiation? If if you don't have anything interesting to talk about with the product, you should probably be selling something else, at least as your thing that's kind of your front-end offer to get attention. So if it has good differentiation, then great, you're on to the next step. You're ready to start the sales funnel. If not, find a new product. And you can always use that same product to sell to the customers that you get from somewhere else. So this is what the kind of process looks like, the same exact questions that I literally just asked. Is it high quality? Is there a big market for it? Is, there, is it differentiated? If yes, then you're ready to scale. If not, then fix or replace the product. You can always keep it and sell it again, but as far as really driving growth in your business, I think you should be answering yes to all three of these questions. <clears throat> Number three, so you don't have anything that's necessarily really working in your business that you can keep doing and more of. Your product, though, is pretty good, like, like Charles's case. Product's good, good to go, so there's nothing to fix there. If there's something to fix there, fix that. If not, now you're on the next step, the sales funnel i get new customers in the door this is basically what our sales funnel looks like today it's not the prettiest page by any means when we've taught it in our programs that we have online now we've literally called i've literally called this template the long ugly page i don't know if charles knows this he may be offended by this but that's what i've called it and it works we've got people in different markets that are using the same exact kind of landing page to scale their businesses in a whole lot of different markets and if you're not a member of anything that we have and stuff, the easiest way to find these pages, and I tell this, because not because it's in our best interest, just because it's public and it's, it's OK, is just go to Facebook ad library and then search for our brand. And you can do this for all people's brands. Then you'll see our ads, you'll see our landing pages. And you could do this for everyone. We do it for people all day long to see what other people are doing. And you'll find this landing page. Uh, we've tried to beat it with nicer, prettier pages, but it's been really hard. And so the idea behind a landing page, which may sound obvious, but sometimes isn't, is you know, there are people who do well, direct-to-consumer, sending people straight to a product page. But a lot of times, that's probably not going to be the best performing option. Because that's not really how you would have a conversation. If you were having a one-on-one sales conversation, you wouldn't say, hey, here's my product. Here's the price. Buy it or don't buy it. That's not how the conversation would go. You'd be like, hey, here's a problem that I can solve. Here's kind of things that is done for other people. Here's the features, the benefits. Here's other people that have used the product and been happy. Oh, by the way, here's the price. And here's a guarantee so you have no risk. That would be more of like the sales conversation. That's basically all a landing page does. It's just a different structure of probably the same information. So our landing page, and I'll give some stats on it, is very long. Um, Covers everything you possibly can. Features, benefits, the main angle, lots of testimonials and then it has a few different offers on there. It's not gonna be the same for everyone's business, and I was literally telling somebody this backstage, but for us, it worked better, because we had a one-bag option, but it was bringing down the average order value too much. So for us, it worked better to force people to buy at least three bags. So that worked better for us. So the offer is very important, and so is like the headline. Those are kind of two of the most important things, then tons of proof. So when you get to this stage, you're kind of in a little bit of like a chicken and the egg situation. you don't really have many sales going on, but it's kind of like you need to start buying some traffic to figure out if you can actually make sales. And so in this case, I think you need probably about 50 visits a day to start testing. If you want to ramp up on Shopify, I think that's a good minimum because you'll at least be getting some conversions here and there. And so I think you kind of just got to bite the bullet. You don't need to go crazy. You don't need to buy a ton of traffic, but if you want to make your sales funnel work on your own website, I think you just need to start getting 50 visits a day. Once you do that, how do you know if your sales funnel's working? First thing is your conversion rate. So is it good? Bad conversion rate on Shopify is probably gonna be like sub 2%. These are stats you can find online. An okay conversion rate on Shopify, 2 to 4%. A good conversion rate, over 4%. Ours, when we were scaling early on, before we really expanded the audiences, was I think about 6%. So we had really dialed that thing in. As we expanded the audiences, it went down probably more in that okay range. For Amazon, oops, for Amazon, uh, according to Mike, who's more of the expert on this now, uh, 10 to 20% is okay. So if you are focused on Amazon, that's your benchmark over there. This lets you know where to put your attention because if your conversion rate on Shopify is like 1%, then you're probably gonna get a lot of benefit from improving your conversion rate. If your conversion rate's already like 5%, that's not where you need to put your attention. You probably need to maybe increase your average order value or something else. And so these are some benchmarks for you to know, kind of running through a process like a checklist of where do I focus in my business. So if you need to improve your conversion rate, and these are good things probably to do either way, first off is a better hook or selling angle. So when Manol kind of went through the example that he just showed of Hooked on Phonics, they had a really good offer. It was like your kid learns how to read in like 30 days. That's kind of a hook. That's the thing that's gonna grab people's attention that seems to really work. So you're kind of looking for that in your business. And you've kind of got a test. The process that we use, that I think anybody can use, because everyone thinks they know exactly why their customer's gonna buy. I don't think that's the truth. I think you have a guess. We had a guess. I don't even remember which one I thought was gonna work. It wasn't the one that ended up working. But we basically said, like, what are the five to 10 reasons we think somebody would buy this coffee that's never heard of it before? Uh, Maybe because it's, you know, environmentally friendly. Maybe it's because it's sustainably farmed. Maybe it's because Charles is a doctor. Maybe it's because, you know, the fear angle. All your coffee's toxic. Um, Or maybe it's because, you know, the low acid thing, which kind of ended up working really well for us. We just threw like five of these things against the board and then found out which one worked best. The testing process wasn't too complicated. We literally just changed the headline. Everything else on the page was pretty much the same. That was it, found out the main hook that was actually gonna get some random person to buy this thing. Second thing, more proof, reviews, testimonials. To kind of give you a benchmark, our page has 50 fully visible reviews. Most people weigh undershoot on this. I tried to get our marketing person, uh, she didn't do it for me, but I was like, hey, I was like, can we like 10 times the number of reviews and testimonials and stuff we have on our landing page? And she was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, Matt. She never did it. She was like, no way in hell, that's too many. Uh, it's a lot of work, but, Our page has 50 fully visible reviews, like not like you have to scroll through a slider or any of that kind of stuff. Social proof I think is the easiest way to increase conversion rate, aside from having a really good offer. But if you just add more proof of this thing working, then your sales funnel is pretty easy. It's like, hey, here's my product, here's what it does for you, here's a million testimonials of people saying that it actually does what it says it does, here's a good price and here's a guarantee if it doesn't work, done. That's your whole sales funnel. So as much proof as you can possibly add, Video, I would mix it up to text, video, star rating, number of customers who have bought. Um, I gave somebody the advice, which is applicable to anybody selling supplements, total number of servings you've ever sold, which is gonna be a massive number. It doesn't even have to be the number of bottles, the number of customers. Any of those kind of numbers is also another element of proof. Third, longer sales copy. I took our landing page and put it in a Google Doc. It was something like 12 pages of copy. So when you think you have enough copy on your page, I would revisit that. I mean, this is like old school marketing advice. Um, David Ogilvy, you know, sort of guy that built this massive, I think like $800 million ad agency from nothing, he would say longer copy sells. We love short, pretty pages. I have never been able to get any of those to work. Some people probably have, I guess. I have not. Longer copy sale- sells. You know, sometimes you just want to be convinced to buy something. You're like, I really want to buy this thing. I need more reasons to buy it. And you're just looking for them to convince you. And I think a lot of people end up in that situation, if they're gonna read it, give them more stuff. It can't necessarily be redundant, but cover every reason they should buy, every feature, every benefit, everything your product does. And there's that whole thing from back in the day, I think it was like Schlitz beer or something, where they kind of really described how this beer was made. Everyone made their beer the same way, but they were the first people to actually say that. And then all of a sudden, people are like, oh man, this is amazing, I don't know if these other people make it this way, and they outsold everybody. Longer copy sells. When in doubt, have the longest copy you can possibly tolerate creating, and you'll probably sell more. Fourth, better offer. So I like to try to do like a process of elimination. A lot of times, I find when people are trying like a new sales funnel, they'll be a little too timid on the offer. Um, I would recommend selling it as cheaply as you possibly can because these are like new people that are probably only going to hit your site once. You can always. Decrease the discount later. At least validate that you can get some sales coming in. If you have to start off at like a break-even price, even if you want to make profit, do that. You don't necessarily have to lose money doing this. I'm not asking you to like take a massive financial risk, but you don't have to make a bunch of money either. And at least, okay, people are actually buying. Because it's like, if you can't generate sales at this super low price, That's a problem. Like something else has to get fixed. Your conversion rate isn't good enough. You don't have enough social proof. The hook isn't right. So at least it's like taking that off the table. You're like, OK, I can at least generate sales. Now let's see if we can kind of tweak it from there. So that's all increasing conversion rate. What about average order value? The real game, somebody asked me, like, what's the secret to making Shopify work? I'm like, revenue per visitor, which is basically just conversion rate times average order value. So we talked about conversion rate. Now what about average order value? So what is a good Shopify average order value? For me, I think, it's basically three times a price of a single unit of your product. So if a single unit of your product sells for like 20 bucks, I think you should probably be shooting for like a $60 average order value. That is probably a good benchmark for you. Maybe you can go higher. I mean, some people back in the day, maybe because they were doing a little bit shady things, but they would be doing like a supplement offer or something, and their average order value would be like $150, $200 or something. selling like bottles of supplements that probably cost them like seven bucks to make. Now they were probably pushing the limit a little bit. For us, you know, the average price somebody pays for a bag of coffee for us is like low 20 bucks after discounts and subscription and all that kind of stuff. Our average order value is $75 or so now. It's increased slowly over time. So that's kind of for us. And so if your average order value, I was talking to another guy backstage, is that he's getting customers for $45, but his average order value was like 25 bucks or something. So I'm like, hey, that's great. You figured out how to get customers for $45? Now, you just need to increase your average order value. Um, that's the problem to solve here. So on Amazon, talk with Mike, if your product's selling for 20 bucks, you can't do as much to increase average order value, though I think that's a good opportunity if you do know tricks there. And I don't, don't necessarily have any for you, other than bundling and that kind of thing on Amazon. But maybe a good average order value on Amazon is like 1.4x. This is like slightly higher than what we get. Um, so this is pushing the limit a little bit more than what we have right now. But the goal is the more you can get people to order up front, the better. Because like 70% of the people that buy from you once, you're never going to see again. That's the fact. There's too many people making them offers. That's like the repeat purchase rate that I think I'll show in a second. So how do you improve your average order value? There's really only three main things. It's pretty simple. So I took an example. Somebody in our mastermind shared a podcast with a brand called True Classic. They sell t-shirts and that kind of thing and they do something like 150 million a year or something with pretty much all direct to consumer. And they do the same things we do, I just like their example rather than just using us all the time. So they bundle. They do one of the coolest things that we don't even do as well as they do on Shopify. This is from their actual regular store. As you've seen every clothing brand on the planet, you go to their Shopify store, and they're just like selling you a t-shirt. They got a bunch of different colors. Maybe they're selling you a pair of pants they're almost defaulting to buying like six t-shirts in every different color, like that's brilliant. This is gonna ramp up your average order value and allow you to scale so much faster. Because if you can get customers for free because your average order value is so high, then you're off to the races. You could scale your business like we did. Um, You know, we went from like 200K in sales in 2018 to like two and a half million in 2019, to 16 million in 2020, then to like 26 and so forth. That was because of this thing, because if we can figure out the numbers that our cost to get a customer with Facebook ads is here and our gross profit from ads, basically our average order value is here minus our product costs, then if we can just keep doing that as long as we can do it with as much traffic, it's a super easy way to scale. Then your only job is keeping up on inventory. One of the ways is with bundling. Second one is an order bump. This is basically just like, how do you get people to add more stuff to the cart before they check out? As much stuff as you possibly can at some point if you're like being super obnoxious and having them add stuff to their card that kind of ends up making them like i'm not even going to finish this purchase that's a little bit of a problem but i think most people just don't push the limit on that enough get them to add more stuff to their order before they even enter their credit card lastly is one click upsells so i did a little video review which is why i have that weird face down there but this is a video review i did of their funnel and you can use a tool um one click upsell is the one we've used by zipify Uh, There's another one called after sell that looks pretty cool. I think they're using after sell Um, Either way the idea is like the first order is already locked in they've entered their credit card information That order is done now. It's like how do I get them to buy more stuff before they're done with that order? So the first order is done like you're you're golden now It's just like what else can I get him to add for us and like Ezra the creator of Zipify who was gonna speak here but he's having a, a family issue. And so too bad he he couldn't make it. He's an awesome guy. But he created Zipify and he sort of said, and this is proven out mostly correct for us, the best upsell, just more of what they're already buying. If you're selling t-shirts and they buy a black shirt, have them buy another black shirt. Um, For us, you know, if they're buying a bag of medium roast, ask them to buy another bag of medium roast. For us, we go slightly further, is that if they're buying three bags of medium roast, we were performing really well and so I don't even know where it's at now. I don't manage this anymore. But one of the best upsells we had is another three bags. They're literally buying six bags of coffee even though they've never heard of us before. People will do it. We've done it before, somebody buys six bags, we sell them another six bags. You'll see these orders come through for like 12 units of your product. It's great, let people do it all day long and just treat them well after they purchase so that there's no issues that they want to return them. Um, So these are the main ways you increase your average order value. You should have each one of these in place and constantly be monitoring. Now, we don't go crazy. This isn't like a 12-hour-a-day sort of job. This is like an hour a week, because you've got to set up the test if you're using Zipify and let it run for a week or two, and that's it. It doesn't take a lot of time. I would just cover these basics and make sure you have this in there. Great way to find this stuff out, by the way, is to order products from businesses you know are doing well, True Classic, Life Boost, whoever, uh, and just go through their funnel. See what they're doing, screenshot it, um, and see if you can copy that same sort of stuff. Fourth. Repeat customer sales. So you've kind of been like, okay, I don't necessarily have anything in my business. I can repeat. Um, My product is pretty good, and so I don't need to fix anything there. My sales funnel maybe is working pretty well. Or maybe you just skip all the way to the end, because you realize you have a whole bunch of customers you've never remarketed to, and you want to bring in some extra cash in your business. So Bain & Company says a 5% increase in customer retention can produce more than a 25% increase in profit. Because getting new customers is expensive. It's timely, it takes a lot of effort. If you could just resell to all the people that have already bought from you, that's a good way to go. So, another benchmark. Is your lifetime value good? This is mainly for Shopify. Benchmark to use is like, say your average order value is 75 bucks. Ideally, you should be doubling that in the first year. So if they upfront buy 75 bucks from you, all the customers combined, even including the ones that don't reorder from you, if that number, total amount of orders from that group of people, should be basically double that in the first year. If not, it means you're not getting people to come back and rebuy, you've got work to do there. Part of that could be because you need to remarket to them, part of it could be because you need additional products to sell them. So how do you improve your lifetime value? I already kind of alluded to this, is that the repeat purchase rate is like less than 30%. That means 70% of your customers are never coming back. So your first order is all you get which is why I stress average order value so much. Because if you wanna increase your lifetime value, but 70% of people never come back, that means their lifetime value is that one order. So the higher you can make that one order, the higher your lifetime value is gonna be, and it's gonna subsidize all your ad spend, and you can scale to the moon. So first thing, increase average order value. Second thing, more products, or some people would call them back-end offers. And who to look at this better than, you know, the two plus trillion dollar company, Apple. When you go to buy an iPhone, I went through this a few weeks ago when I was adding these images here. First off, they try to offer you a higher storage capacity on your phone, which can increase the price by as much as 500 bucks. And I think I was looking even at like one of their cheaper phones that was only like 600 and something dollars. So storage capacity up is 500 dollars, a premium version of the product essentially, great upsell. Apple Care, this is nice because it's a subscription. You know, a lot of times we're like, how do you add a subscription to your business? Maybe you could do something like this. Um, if it's not like a consumable product. Then they try to add on all kinds of accessories, little cases, uh, the little special charger, not the generic one that comes with it. Then you know AirPods, the AirTags. If you were to buy all those four products, those are the main ones they offer you. My guess, and I think I've looked at these numbers, I'm pretty sure it's correct, is that their total profit on all those accessories would be the same as their total profit on the upfront product, this well-developed phone, just because they have really high margins on that stuff. So this is the case where it's kind of like, if you only have one product, even if it's working well, it could be very profitable for you to add another product, just because in some cases, you can only sell so much of one product. So more back-end products. Next one, simple one, is following up with people. Use all the basics. Uh, You can use whatever email platform you want. But if you're selling on Shopify, doing e-commerce, is a good option. Uh, Use SMS. There's a million different platforms out there. Facebook retargeting ads. I'm just calling out Facebook because it's the big one, but retargeting ads anywhere. And then we use Postpilot uh, for postcard retargeting. And so we have a whole basically the same thing you would see in an email sequence for follow up. We have the same thing happening in Postpilot. I mean, our main goal is basically to get people on subscription. So we go to one time order first. Then we're using every single one of these channels to try to get them on subscription. And After doing that, we're trying to sell them all of our other products. It's not rocket science. These are just pieces to put together in your business that can be low-hanging fruit if you're producing any sales at all on your store. Lastly is subscription. If you can do this, it's fantastic. It's not the end of the world if your business isn't consumable. I mean, look at Apple, $2 trillion company. I think it's something like 60-plus percent of their sales come from iPhones, which isn't a consumable product. They just do upgrades. Like if I was in Mike's shoes, he already sells lanterns and flashlights and stuff. You know, He's got that really cool flashlight that's not really the right fit. So if he developed a really good, small, compact, tactical flashlight. He could always come up with upgraded versions. Because people that are fanatical about this, it's like, hey, we've got version 7. Hey, we've got version 8. Those people are going to buy that thing. And so you could do the same thing. And it's like almost like subscription-like revenue without actually having a consumable product. If you can add a consumable, that's fantastic. Um, but you don't have to to drive extra sales. But, so this is our Amazon Subscribe and Save stats. They give you this data, which is kind of cool. Our 12-month lifetime value for non-subscribers, that bottom number, is about $58. For subscription, it's pretty much double. This is awesome. This is Amazon telling you how important subscription is. So if you can add subscription, fantastic. Because that's basically them having to opt out of giving you more money. Because they're automatically going to be billed. Be upfront with it, let people know what's happening, let them know what's going on. But then at that point, they have to opt out of being billed. Fantastic position to be in. At this stage, I would almost not build a new business that didn't have a good subscription component. It's such a good position to be in. Like us, we wake up to $40,000, $50,000 in sales by 7 a.m. because it's just subscription getting rebuilt every single day. That's a great position to be in rather than being like, how am I gonna get my sales today? Hopefully my ads don't get cut off. Uh, Hopefully Amazon doesn't mess with my account. Hopefully I don't get anything suspended. It's like those sales are coming in automatically all day long. So to summarize, your maximum leverage point first repeat what works if you have something that's already working do more of that thing second is your product if your product's not good needs work focus on that thing third your sales funnel if your sales funnel is the missing piece because your product's already good focus there and then fourth repeat customer sales so how do you